Hello and welcome to the Swimming Ideas Podcast. My name is Jeff and I will be your host for today. This is episode number 61. This is a conversation with Dominic Latella from The Swim Box. And I'm really excited to talk to you about the different things in our conversation today. Now, we go from unconventional swimming concepts to how to be a better instructor. And we even talk about meditation, mindfulness, and how you can train your brain to be a better swim instructor and swim coach. I'm excited to get into this. Let's get started. That's right. Today we are talking to Dominic Latella from the Swimbox. And he's got a great career here in the Virginia and D.C. area. Uh, he's the only level four master swimming coach. Uh, he's the head coach of for adaptive swimming at Walter Reed, two-time coach at the USMS High Performance Camp. He has 10 years coaching experience working with swimmers of all ages and ability levels. He has the U.S. Masters Swimming Level 1 to 3 Certification Instructor and the USA Swimming Masters Learn to Swim Certification Instructor as well. Dominic's straight-to-the-point scientific approach helps you learn safe and efficient swimming techniques. At the Swimbox, they have an endless pool technology that allows Dominic to be able to stop you mid-stroke and make any needed corrections or adjustments. He'll tell you exactly what needs to be done with your swimming to become more efficient, to get faster, and to swim injury-free. I think you'll find out as we talk in our conversation between Dominic and I how much I resonate with the things he says. In particular, I want you to pay attention to his concept of working with breathing in age group and older swimmers. We're going to look at how uh, using the endless pool technology makes it easier to teach and coach, how, in Dominic's opinion, Going back to a pool, a standard maybe 25-yard pool or a 50-meter pool, hampers the coach's ability to stop someone swimming mid-stroke, make corrections or adjustments, and then see immediate improvement. Now, tied to that, we also go into how do you effectively coach immediate improvement? One of the games that he plays um, is the uh, redemption game or not failing game, and how he's built that into almost every facet of his instruction. Now, there's a lot of dense material here. Uh, we go into a wide range of topics, but I want you to focus primarily on breathing and why it's important for swimmers, how you can train yourself to become a better teacher and swim instructor, and finally, um, I want you to look at how experimenting as a swim coach and then evaluating yourself can improve both you as a coach or a swimmer or, or a swim instructor and your participants in their swimming. Now, without further ado, let's get right into it. Uh, I know you're going to enjoy this episode. Here's Dominic Latella from The Swim Box. All right, I have Dominic Latella with me today from The Swim Box in Virginia, and we're going to talk about his program and his uh, business of the swim box. Dominic, thanks for joining us. I'm happy to be here. I'm really excited to talk and uh, hope to share some information with other instructors and like-minded people or maybe even get some comments from people that don't agree with me. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I would like that too. I'd li- I'd, I always like uh, saying provocative things about swim lessons and having people disagree 
and being like, okay, let's have a conversation about this because yeah. uh, there are multiple ways of achieving the same goal. Uh, that, that, I like that a lot. Okay, so before we begin, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started with swimming, and what you're doing now. So I started swimming competitively when I was about 12 years old. I decided to start swimming uh, because my older brother started to swim, and I just wanted to beat him at swimming. I achieved that goal pretty quickly, actually, and I was like fell in love with it at that point. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not bad at this, so let me keep going. Um, and then, so through, I swam through high school, swam in college, and then, uh, in high school, I suffered a lot of shoulder injuries and a lot of shoulder problems, um, to the point where I didn't think I was going to actually swim in college. Uh, when I did get to college, I finally decided to, to swim, and then those shoulder injuries just came right back. Um, I went through tons of physical therapy, uh, through high school went right back into physical therapy in college. Nothing ever got solved. Ended up having surgery on both my shoulders my senior year of, of college. Uh, when I graduated college, I had, you know, came to a crossroads just like any college kid would. And mm-hmm. I decided that I would go back to swimming and I was going to coach because I didn't want anyone to have to suffer as much as I did because I wanted to participate in something that I loved so much. I knew that there was going to be an opportunity for me to figure out how to help people meet their goals, whether it was just to swim or to be great at swimming or whatever their swimming goal would be. So, and that's, that's what I started to do. Wow. Um, can you, can you talk a little yeah. bit, a little bit more about your injury or the nature of it? Was it, um, I don't want to date you too much. I'm, let's see, I'm 36 right now. I'll be 37 in a couple weeks here. But when I learned how to swim, it was with a very high elbow recovery with a hand near the body. And that, mm-hmm. from my understanding, caused a lot of shoulder problems. And that, that was what, 20 years ago was kind of the training. And that as a swimming industry, we've moved away from that high elbow close to the body recovery, the hyperextension of the elbow or the shoulder into a more wide recovery on freestyle um, and rotating. Is, is that kind of the, the part of where that problems came from for you? I think the problems really were about the rotation, right? Because rotation is, uh, rotation allows the mobility of your shoulder. If mm-hmm. you're not rotating, well, then you're going to limit that. And yep. Specifically for me, it was about the pull. I was pulling with the shoulder joint. Just like uh, a lot of swimmers, Mm -hmm. I'm hypermobile. And so a lot of hypermobile people don't use muscles. They use joints and ligaments. And that's exactly what I was doing. So every time I would pull on freestyle or backstroke, I was a freestyle or backstroker, I would stretch out the ligament right in the front of my shoulder, Mm -hmm. on both shoulders. And, And it got to the point where it got so stretched out that it wouldn't even keep the humerus in the socket. Oh, my um, gosh. So it would actually start to slip out after. Yeah, so maybe around 15 pounds worth of pressure, mm-hmm. and my, my shoulder would partially dislocate. Um, so, yeah, okay. it was all technique, yeah. definitely a technique issue. And if I had um, better mechanics, then I, I probably wouldn't have been injured. Um, so, yeah, you know, that's... that's would you say what you're saying is pretty accurate, by the way? Okay, okay, all right. And then, and that, so by engaging your core with every stroke, 
um, kind of locking it in and rotating with the hips, you may have um, prevented that injury is kind of what I'm hearing. Possibly. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I, if I would have, if I were, was rotating and if I was actually using my, my back, scapula, mm-hmm. lats, all the mm-hmm. muscles back there, uh, to actually pull versus the shoulder joint itself to pull, I wouldn't have had the injury. Fantastic. So how are you taking that experience that you've, you know, you've learned from that you uh, channeled into this desire into helping other people? What are you doing now to kind of give back? So I work, um, so Swimbox is located inside of a physical therapy office with strength and conditioning as well, with regenerative medicine doctors as well. Um, So I get the opportunity to really connect with people that want to swim but have an injury and just don't understand how to get past that injury. Getting Being injured is so frustrating for everybody because all you want to do is, is compete or, or, or do the sport you love, but every time you take a stroke, it hurts. Well, that's going to be really frustrating. Yeah. So I just I work hand-in-hand hand with the physical therapists. I sit on, on clients' appointments. They sit in on my swim lessons with them. Um, you know, we go... We go real deep in some box. Um, we get very detailed in some box. So. What do you mean? What, like, can you kind of give give us some details on that? Do you use video, pictures, um, analysis? Yeah. What are you What are you talking about by going deep? Um, so with some box, it's an endless pool, um, and that allows me to stop somebody immediately. So if they are doing something incorrectly, I can stop them versus watching them just go down the lane and not have any control and they spent, you know, a majority of that, that length just completely doing the wrong thing. Yeah, so or screaming like a lunatic, right, as they swim. Right. like, stop, exactly. stop, stop. <laughs> okay. Right, exactly. Yep. Um, there's mirrors on the bottom of the pool so they can see themselves and they can make self-corrections, which is incredibly important in the learning process. That's probably... I would say swimming is one of the harder sports to learn because not only is it just um, highly technical, but you can't see yourself. Yeah. So any anything that you can see yourself doing is easier to learn. So when you're not able to see yourself, swimming is really hard to kind of conceptualize. So the mirrors make it really easy for people to make adjustments and make corrections. And in addition to that, we're doing um, video analysis um, as we see fit, meaning you know, if the person says, I see myself in the mirror, I don't quite understand what you're talking about. We throw it up on the TV, we show them, we do it in slow motion, we draw all over it, um, and we even send the videos home with people just over a Dropbox link. Um, in addition to that, we take people out of the water, we do lots of dry land stuff, we have a gym to, uh, attached to the facility, so we get to like go to the gym and show them different movements on land and see if we can kind of start incorporating those same or similar movements in the water. Um, can I ask you a question? Break down everything. Yeah. Sure. Uh, so when, I, have, I have two questions here. The first one is um, when you're taking them out of the water, are you uh, giving them, I'm going to call it dry land in the parlance of swimming here, uh, are you giving them dry land activities that help them with their swimming ability or are we giving them dry land activities to help them with their therapy and their injury uh, therapy? 
I would say that it's the same thing, maybe. Mm, yeah, I'd say it's the same thing, right? Good <laughs> yeah. transit conditioning would be injury prevention. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but but more specifically, what I try to do on land, um, especially with like uh, learning the catch and the power phase and the finish, mm-hmm. I bring them to the gym and we start learning it on land just so they have some better connection to those movements and then they can kind of like start conceptualizing okay this is what it's like when i'm swimming and then we go right back into the pool and do those same movements in the pool um and so they make the connections a lot easier a lot faster um that's the real benefit um i would say as far as like dry land exercises to do I do. I give some, but I don't really give a lot. Uh, and mostly the ones that I do give are, are about breathing. So. Oh, okay. What, what kind of like breathing and why? Um, well, <laughs> <laughs> this, this is the great thing about my job. I, I, I only coach really four swim practices a week, maybe five, technically mm-hmm. five swim practices a week. The rest of my time I am, in front of an endless pool, um, watching people swim all day long. And so it gives me lots of time to sort of experiment and travel down rabbit holes of experimentation. Uh, and, and breathing right now is the, the one that I'm going down. And it's a very deep rabbit hole. And I, I would encourage anybody to really evaluate what you're asking your swimmers to do when you're asking them how they're taking their breath, when they're breathing, um, what is the best way for someone to breathe? Do they breathe well on land? How do you oh, determine if they breathe well on land? Yeah. Um, so this is, this, is, this is a very deep topic. Yeah. Well, well, <laughs> uh, let's, let's, let's touch a little bit on it because this is, I mean, I, I spend my time, I mean, I coach every day. I, I teach swim lessons, but breathing is not a fundamental. I mean, we don't talk about it usually. It's more, uh, do it when you need to, or on breaststroke and butterfly, do it at these specific periodic intervals. What What about breathing is are, are you looking for? Uh, let's start on land. What What's what's a sign of a of a good breather uh, for an athlete in swimming? <laughs> uh, well, you could probably say that breathing well on land is a demonstration of a good athlete. Period whether they're swimmers or runners or cyclists or, or whatever, soccer players, it doesn't matter. Um, but I also want to touch on what something you said. I don't think you realized you said it, but it was like perfect. <laughs> you said breathing's not fundamental. And I would say breathing is the foundation of swimming. Mm-hmm. Because without a good breath, it's going to completely change your body posture. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have we at Swimbox have gone away from telling people to engage their core. Okay. Um, core engagement, right? And this is, this is <laughs> provocative comments. Here. It is. Yeah. Um, so core engagement, I, I, I want people to try this and, and everything I, I'm talking about, I've done multiple times with people and I works for me. Um, so if you actually engage your core, what that usually means, uh, uh, we'll say a common cue is belly button in the spine, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Right. So what you're actually doing is just tightening your core muscles. And when you tighten your core muscles, you're actually limiting the ability to use your limbs. And I'm going to argue that if you keep your core muscles engaged, how long can you actually keep them engaged for? 
because they're, they're just like any other muscle. They're going to get tired and they're going to release. Mm-hmm. So typically, if I keep my core muscles engaged, I'm only good for about, I don't know, 25 to 50 yards. And then after that, I don't really think about it. Mm-hmm. And then I have to try to reset every, you know, flip turn or something like that. Um, so what we work on is a bracing breath, meaning when you inhale, can you fill up your abdominal wall with your breath? Right. You can describe it kind of like belly breathing. It's not really belly breathing, but that's the easiest way to describe it. So if you can fill up your abdominal wall, that means your belly's expanding. That means the side of you is expanding and your, your lower back is going to expand as well. What's the and benefit of this? That's yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's a tension that's, that's caused okay. through your core without your core actually being engaged. All right. So that's yeah. benefit number one. Benefit number two, when you actually open up that much and you have that much air in you, you're more buoyant. You float, right? Yeah, so and, and, it's, it's, and, and as a tangent here, so the Olympics where they allowed the suits, the swimsuits that made you more buoyant, they actually ended yeah. up going back and banning because it was an unfair advantage being more buoyant. So by using filling up your abdominal wall by uh, uh, diaphragm, using your diaphragm to breathe, um, and putting tension on your back and your your abs and your your sides here, you're creating yourself to be more buoyant, which will give you that competitive edge to make your swimming easier right. and more efficient. Right, and so this this sort of concept really started because we get so many, you know. I'd say like 30 to 50 year old triathletes that come in, they're sitting all day long at their desk. You know, we're right next to Washington, Mm DC. Um, they're riding their bikes all day long on the weekend. They're going for centuries. They're doing a lot of running. So a lot of these people come in and they have really tight hips or a really dramatic or even a slight, um, anterior pelvis tilt, meaning, you know, they kind of look like they're sticking their butt out when they walk. Mm-hmm. Um, and a big, huge dip in their lower back. And any time I ask those guys to to engage their core or pull their belly button in, um, they would do that, but then because their hip flexors were so tight, their legs would just drop below them. <laughs> so I was trying to figure out the best way, how do I help these guys? How do I help these people that have these pelvis tilts? And we, we came to the conclusion, we meaning myself and the strength and conditioning coach that I work with, that it's about how people breathe. Mm-hmm. When they learn how to fill up that abdominal wall, it actually lengthens their lower back, their lumbar vertebrae, as opposed to tightening the core to cause it. And then we found out the benefits. Okay, well, I can't perform as well if my core is tight. If, 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 if I can keep that abdominal wall expanded and swim, then I'm going to have the, a better potential to generate force and a better opportunity to generate movement through my limbs. Um, and so when someone learns how to do that portion, we teach them how to kind of do like a maintenance breath. Um, and what I mean by the maintenance breath is just like a smaller exhale. Um, I, I use the number 10% of whatever you've taken in. You just let out 10% so that you're only going to take back in 10%. Um, you know, but it, it, it's, it's an arbitrary number and it's just an, uh, a concept that people can kind of wrap their minds around. It's like a guidepost um, another, to, to think about your breathing so you're not you're you're you're, right. you're you're thinking about keeping that stomach and back area full of air. Right. I mean, it's not really because it's in your lungs, but you know, 
it's a way of thinking about it so you're not releasing it while you're continuing to breathe right. is what I'm hearing. Okay. Okay. Exactly. Th- this then, is fan- fascinating. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is you know we we kind of this is what Spinbox is all about really is it's mm-hmm. really trying to figure out what is the best way to do the things we're doing. It's been ten years since I <laughs> decided that squeezing your belly button into your spine was a good cue, and so I, we questioned it one day and then we went down this breathing rabbit hole. Um, but I think the other issue for a lot of people with breathing is that a lot of times they're told to exhale immediately once they get their face back in the water. And I think that's really important for a learn to swim. Really important. So they have to start understanding that if they don't have some air coming out of their nose, then, well, water's going to go up their nose, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. But at a certain level for for a competitive swimmer, whether they're a triathlete, triathlete or just a swimmer, um, it's probably smarter to have a slight hesitation. Right. Why? When have you ever done med- have you ever done meditation? At yeah. All? Yep. Yep. Uh, so actually, I'm actually kind of this is a tangent here. I'm I'm getting into the Wim okay. Hof method of breathing, and there you I go. actually just watched a video <laughs> of him. So I'm like totally on board with this. But uh, where it's yeah. like you know deep breathing in out, and then on an exhale you hold it, and then right. you know it's like the CO2 and oxygen and stuff. But okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've, I've met so it. We're, yeah. we're we're really into Wim Hof too, by the way. And Great. I use Wim Hof for a lot of my athletes that have some anxiety over water and cold water specifically, obviously mm-hmm. with Wim Hof. Um, but um, we digress. And so <laughs> with the um, thing about meditation is once you start noticing your breath, you notice that there's a gap between your inhale and your exhale. We don't walk around day to day or living our lives constantly inhaling and exhaling, we would hyperventilate. Yeah. So what I've asked my swimmers to, to start do doing, um, they're all very, I guess, on board with me because they've been with me for a long time. So they'll, they'll, they'll go, they'll placate me a little bit and experiment with me a little bit. And if it doesn't work for them, they tell me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been asking people not to start to exhale until they turn their head to breathe. So, this is very contrary to what most people is, believe. Yep, yep. Um, and in addition to that, because well, you're only letting out like 10%, and you're only going to get back in 10%, you're probably going to need to breathe every other stroke or same side breathing. So increasing the frequency, right? So increasing the frequency. Right. Okay. Right. And I, I don't know if you recognize this at all, but there's definitely a trend in swimming now where they're saying, Distance swimmer should be should be breathing more frequently. Every three strokes is still not enough time, or too much time in between breaths because people will go into oxygen death. So, you know, I, I, I haven't seen I, that. I, I into that. Yeah, I, I haven't seen that yet because I'm really working with beginners and age group swimmers, um, and where we are telling them um, breathe every three, breathe every five in some cases. Um, there is yeah. some, but but more for technique wise, and you know you don't you want to establish right. the ability to breathe to both sides, um, right? Versus having a lopsided like a breathing to the side. So so let me just kind of give give people that are listening an understanding because we might be 
deviating away from what most people know uh, is that if you sure. <laughs> yeah, if you're teaching swim lessons and maybe you see this when you're teaching your your kids uh, that because you also offer uh, age group and seven year olds you said um, group lessons yeah. at the swim box but uh, when you are teaching them we want to at least we advocate that you teach breathing to both sides equally um, so that there's not an imbalance in the stroke so if you always breathe to the right then you're going to kind of start this banana a curve with your body uh, when you're swimming and then if you learn how to do both and you can do both it'll uh, kind of naturally balance itself off, out for the most part for most people um, you might have a dominant side that you are more comfortable with but we want to teach being able to go both because then it's symmetrical and balanced and, and, and efficient on each yeah. side um, but but what you're saying is maybe at, at an elite athlete or at a triathlete or a competition style, um, and, and this is going to be what was going to be my follow-up question was, you know, if we're not exhaling completely and we're inhaling, you know, not as much, are we going into that oxygen deprivation? Are we going to that hypoxic state when we maintain it over a long period of time? And you, you kind of address this in saying, actually, we should be breathing every two, like the same side in order to counteract the less amount of inhale, exhale. Right. Exactly. Okay. Because, and for myself personally, what I ask people to do is to actually breathe on opposite sides by lengths or by 50s. Oh, okay. Right, so yeah. that way, it is a true balance. Where you're breathing every three strokes, that does not necessarily mean that you're going to take the same amount of breath on the opposite side. True. Um, I and I also think that it also, when someone's breathing every three strokes, um, I'm not opposed to people doing that. If that's where they're comfortable and that's what they want to do, I'm happy to have them do that. It's fine. But um, I think it also is a constant balance change. And so it's harder for people to actually um, maintain that. But that's not to say that you shouldn't teach people to do that. I think mm-hmm. it's a good teaching tool for sure. So. Okay. Well, and the struggle there is, as always with most swimming, is maintaining the line and holding the 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 right. length of that line. And it and so it may be more difficult to do always having to switch both, you know, back and forth. Um, okay. All right. This. I mean, this is pretty interesting. What um. Uh, are there any? Is there like a one activity that people can do while they're listening to improve their breathing? Just simply that you can kind of guide us through. Um, the easiest way to do it is if, if they're listening or not in a car and at home or something. <laughs> the easiest way to do it is to lay down on the ground on your stomach and um, using your hands like a pillow. So your hands on top of each other. Just turn your head to the side. And it's just take normal breaths. And if you have someone there that can watch and have them tell you where, where is it that you're actually filling up? So I'll just watch people breathe and see, are their rib cages expanding up and down? Are their rib cages expanding outward? Is their belly or are their obliques or the lower back expanding? I don't see that very often. That's not a normal thing. So I wouldn't expect it. Um, but then once you kind of take a couple of breaths, normal breaths, take in a really deep breath and try to really try to, uh, if you have like, I don't know, shorts on or whatever, try to like expand the waistband of, of your pants with your breath. And that's the sensation that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of poke around on your obliques when you do that. So do it when you're expanded and you'll feel tension through your core, but your abs aren't firing. And you'll exhale and you'll feel it get soft again. You'll feel slack. It's really, really an interesting um, 
sort of thing that we're we're working on, and we're working on um, specific protocols now to help not just learn how to do that, but how to get better at it and to get stronger through your core in an untraditional way, getting stronger through your core through breath, actually. Yeah, that's, have you had people or clients or people that you work with that have gone through what you're testing out and had getting, like, have they had results with this? Yeah. Um, so one of my, I was going to call her a regular client. She comes in very frequently. She swims masters with me. Um, we started working together about a year ago. When we started working together, her she's, she's a triathlete, and she was going an average of 210 uh, pace per 100 yards. Um, for her like 1500 meters. Um, we worked on lots of different things, corrected lots of different things, and we got her down to a 150. And now we're getting her down. She was at a 105, or not 105, 145. Um, that would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> a, a 145 the other day, like two weeks ago. And then, um, last week she did, just did a fast 100, fastest 100 she could go, and she went a 141. Nice. Um, so there's, there's obviously significant benefits and, um, just this morning I was working with someone who's around the same age, taught her how to do it a couple of weeks ago. She's been working on it on her own. She came back in and we really figured it out this morning. Like we, it all clicked this morning. So I'm really curious to see what she says when she comes back um, and have her tracking her times and, and see what's going on. I've actually had really good um, results with adult learn to swim for guys, men specifically that don't float. Oh, talk about that because they, yeah, they don't, they don't breathe usually very well. And so they, most men don't float as well as women. So they have more muscle, muscle, muscle density, probably bone density as well. And so they start to think really easily. Um, that they fill up their abdominal wall with air through their using their diaphragm, they start floating. Now, it gets tricky because you don't want to teach them to hold their breath. So, you know, you've got to balance that out in that process. Um, but it seems to help that category of learn to swim or that, that doesn't float very well. Have you worked with kids at all in this, using this? Um, or let me rephrase that. Youngest, yeah, let me rephrase or, have you integrated this into your younger learn to swim? Not necessarily using as a primary no. mover, but have you kind of like taken no. elements of it and applied it? Not, not quite. No, I have not. And, okay. and I think I think it's really important to teach those younger kids to inhale through their mouth, exhale through their nose, get them comfortable with just sort of the the exchange of air um, and how you have to have air exchange in general. So I haven't really integrated with them yet. Okay. Well, when you do, because, you know, I'm always thinking, um, and if you, as a listener, if you looked, uh, listened to um, our podcast with Megan Joel Bear, she talks about from the mind side, um, she talks about, she's a sports psychologist, uh, talks about Mm -hmm. taking skills and breaking them down into chunks. And then Mm -hmm. using those smaller chunks to kind of build up to, and, and, you know, I mean, I'm sold on this breathing. I mean, it makes clear sense to me, and I I get where you're coming from, and I'm going to test it on my own. But um, I'm thinking, okay, now I know where the end point is for an adult. How can I start 
chunking that skill out and introducing it, even in the most basic form, uh, to my uh, youngest swimmers or learn to swim program, you know, just maybe on deck we'll do inhales and exhales for 10 seconds, you know. I mean, it could be as simple as that. Make yeah. your belly big, make your belly small when you breathe. Um, so <laughs> when you when you get down to there, you know, check in with us because I want to um, hear about, you know. Yeah, and I'll, um, I'm, I'm working right now on, on creating like a, a breathing course, an online breathing course actually help people learn how to do this on their own or even teach coaches this because right. it is completely different than anything I've ever heard from any coach. Yeah. So, um, and, and part of my job, one of the other things I do is I'm a, I, I'm a instructor for us master swimming. So I teach their level one, two and three certification classes. So I get mm. the opportunity to interact with lots of different coaches from lots of different backgrounds all the time. Um, and this is just something that like it was sort of experimental, but it seems to be really working. Okay. Uh, I really challenge people to, to experiment with it, play around with it and give, give us some feedback. And I, I, I think that's fantastic. And, um, what do you, when you have this, is, is this a finished course? Do you have other courses right now that are active or live that people can get access to? Um, no. So this will be their first one because I felt okay. like. This was something so important, and one of my really good friends um, that I used to coach in the Bahamas, but now is a swim coach. I used to coach in the Bahamas. Um, nice. Now is a swim coach in the Bahamas. He came up to visit and shadowed me for a week because he wanted to see how Swimbox worked and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And he was reading our, our protocols. Um, so we've created our own protocols to teach people. Um, and he wanted to know what I thought the foundation of swimming was. And I didn't really have an answer for him because... In my mind, it, it's core, right? You always, as a swim coach, at least yep. for me, as a swim coach, I'm always looking at what is the core doing? And then, but when it comes to teaching that, like you had said, you want to teach in chunks. But you can't just isolate core because well, <laughs> there's lots of other moving parts. Mm-hmm. You need limbs to help that core as well. And and so I was always, I was struggling have giving him an answer, whether it was core or legs or core and arms, what was more important. And then like a week later, this breath stuff started to kind of like get implemented into my lessons and I was able to call him immediately and be like, this is foundation for swimming for me is the breath. Absolutely. The breath. That that is a provocative statement. I mean, it, it it is. And it, it, I'm fascinated. I'm going to, I'm definitely going to be experimenting with this as well. Cause, and, and I want to kind of pivot here. Um, into your experimentation. Uh, first of all, when you have that online course, reach out to us because I'd like to attach it to the show notes for this podcast. Um, so sure. people in the future who are listening to this can access that and kind of learn how to do this on their own as well. Um, sure. and, and, you know, that, that core, when you're talking about the foundation of swimming and the core, I'm always thinking body, line, and posture, right? The Mm-hmm. If you can maintain that body line posture, then the limbs, yes, they're an integral part, but you can manipulate them easier. And if you have mastery over your posture, your body line, uh, then um, you, you generally have that strong core. And if we can, I, I'm, I'm going to spend time looking at adding the breathing and how we can, you know, use that. Um, but but to move on here, because we, we've kind of gone pretty deep into this. 
Um, and there's other Told topics. You <laughs> and it's a great one too. I, I'm fascinated by it. And I, I think you got something here that's worth exploring. And, and I think your enthusiasm and energy for it, um, and response from other people has, um, validated that at least. So, um, yeah. but, uh, experiments. So, you know, I treat, and, and this is actually a, uh, meditative technique is that you evaluate things as they show up and then you dismiss them or acknowledge them and move on. You know, when you're meditating, you do that. But I, mm-hmm. I look I look at my practices in, on swim team. I look at my swim lessons and I'm asking myself, how am I doing this? You know, what is my delivery? Was it received? How can I get this better? Or, you know, how in your case, maybe um, I'm, I'm watching these people sink because I'm telling them to engage their core, but if I tell them to focus on their breathing in this particular fashion by expanding their waist, by by filling their abdominal cavity, by using their diaphragm to make their belly big and small while they're taking their breaths, then they're actually more buoyant. They're on the surface. They have a better swimming. They're, they're using those muscles without necessarily thinking about them. You know, you're experimenting during your your instruction can you talk about how, in your mind, you're approaching your instruction and kind of looking at yourself and how you evaluate yourself in the moment? Does that does that make sense? Is that clear? I feel it's kind yeah, of yeah, yeah, all over the place. Absolutely. But. Um, no, I, I I get what you're saying. I I've been doing this for eleven years. Meaning, I've been a swim coach for eleven years. That's all I've ever done. Right out of college was a swim coach. Okay, okay. Um, and it's some point, if you don't experiment, if you don't question what you're doing, or if you don't try new things, you don't become stagnant. You don't learn anything. You don't progress. Um, and I think at some point very early on, I was like, I've got this. This is so easy. I could teach anyone how to swim. I could teach anyone <laughs> to swim fast, right? Yep. I didn't know anything, right? Everyone has probably experienced that in some way if they are over the age of 30. Um, so for me, I have what I want to look at first. Very similar to you. It's posture. And that posture is from the core. And now more specifically for me, it's diaphragmatic breathing or what actually causes your posture in good posture is usually the the, the diaphragm, right? So I'm watching the core. I'm watching the head position and I'm watching what the legs are doing. Mm -hmm. I'm watching what your arms are doing. I'm watching how the arms and the legs are doing things differently. Uh, is is it, you know, how one is counteracting the other balance-wise. Um, so I'm watching all of that <laughs> when someone is just swimming for me for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always watch the core first. And whenever I'm watching anyone, um, I, I always start from the core out. Even if we're working on, you know, I don't know, one-arm freestyle, what's their core doing when they're swimming with one arm? Okay, we've covered how to use your core properly. It's set, good. Now what is that arm doing, right? So I'm always trying to think in that sort of a checklist process. Um, It doesn't always happen that way. I get, I'm just like anyone else, I get bogged down into one focus, you know, and and go, oh, your arm is all over the place. And that's how we learn. So we can't Mm -hmm. just say, focus on your arm. Oh, your legs were bad. Focus on your arm and your legs. That's not fair. So you have to kind of like determine what is, the most important thing at that moment, what is it that you're actually trying to achieve that day? And does your lesson plan 
allow that person to build into the next lesson and so on and head forth. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So for me, we have sort of a, a protocol for about five lessons worth of freestyle. You can come in and you can swim freestyle somewhat. What we basically say, if you can swim 25 yards of freestyle, that's, that's it. Mm-hmm. At that point, we have a, a protocol for five lessons, um, which is only about like three and a half hours worth of, of lessons, really. Um, how to actually correct these problems. And then when we have people come back in for another five or, I have people that come in twice a week that's been coming in twice a week for over a year. You know, it's cycling through those five sort of protocols and refining and refining and refining and getting deeper into detail. Um, and then being able to combine what they've learned. So if they've learned how to move their legs properly, but they're still working on their catch and their pull, can they do a good catch and pull with their legs moving the way they should be moving? Or do they have to, only be focused on their catch in the pool and just let their legs go for now. Mm-hmm. Does that help? Does yeah, that answer yeah, your question? It, it, or do you, were you thinking? <laughs> um, it, it does. And, and you kind of went into uh, your coaching style or your teaching style, which is a difficult thing to tell someone else how you're doing it. Dominic, I hear you saying uh, how when you're coaching, when you're teaching, and Karis Mount and Megan Gilbert, uh, and I even did a podcast episode on this, the one thing, you kind of look at the one or two most essential items that the particular swimmer has brought to the the pool, I guess, brought to the table, Um, and you kind of distill in your mind, okay, what's the most important that's going to have the most profound effect? And having that eye of being able to to say, okay, if I fix this thing, am I wasting, not am I wasting my time, but am I going down a rabbit hole that I could have just worked on this other skill that would have led to overall improving in general i think that's a and and is that kind of where you what what your mind is going through when you're looking at a new client or even a returning client you're like okay what's the most important thing that i can get the most change from yeah and i would say with the other instructors at swimbox you know we um want they're not we'll say they're newer coaches, right? So I get a lot of uh, opportunity to work with my instructors themselves. And then the other instructors that I've, I've uh, certified with U.S. master swimming, I think it's really hard for new coaches. And it's, I'm going to say it's hard for me too to quiet myself. Cause you want to tell the, the swimmer everything you want to give them as much information as possible, but it's overwhelming. Um, mm-hmm. So editing yourself, is only going to help that swimmer. And um, what I find to be the most helpful thing is if a coach believes in what they're teaching, it will absolutely have a positive effect on that swimmer. Um, it doesn't necessarily need to be the right thing, right? We can't not, we're going to have different opinions and we're going to teach people differently. Um, we want, obviously I want everyone to be swimming uh, the best of their ability, but some coaches you know, see things differently. So as long as that coach believes in what they're teaching and sees that it is helping their swimmer, then I don't think that's a negative. And I, I don't think it's, I think for a lot of people, they are apprehensive about how they can help someone. I hear that a lot is I can see 
there's something wrong with their stroke, but I don't know what's wrong with their stroke. Um, and that's where I think that that information chunking is really important to say, well, can't, well, can I look at their core? What is their core doing? Okay. What is, what do I know about how to correct body position and core, uh, you know, position mm-hmm. and then go from there. And then once that's corrected, okay, well, let me see them swim again. Oh, okay. Now, now that's corrected. But what's their legs doing? What do I know about that? All right. And then, and piecing it together because that's how we learn. Um, and that's how people teach. Not everyone teaches that way, and not so most of those people that are teaching that way aren't really getting the message across. Um, so it's really important to break things down and, and, and figure out the best way to communicate those things. Uh, I'm pretty lucky that I've been doing this for so long as my full-time job, and I'm around a lot of coaches, so I have heard a thousand different ways to say the same thing. And I will absolutely use other people's uh, language if my language isn't coming across to somebody else. I want to hit up on that real quick, is that using different language to say the same thing? Because, I I mean, I I work with other coaches, and I I go to swim meets. I see, you know, tons of coaches on deck, and you can get into the habit, even coaching myself, just saying the same thing over and over again. And sometimes it takes a different voice. Maybe that's an assistant coach, or maybe in your case, mm-hmm. or even our own cases as we're coaching, uh, it's using different words to get the same point across. And maybe that means not stealing, but imitation is the finest form of flattery, right? Like stealing yeah, someone exactly. else's words and, and using it to get your point across. I, I really like how you say that because it it looks at, it, it continues this theme of what you touched on earlier in our conversation of, you know, evaluating yourself as a, as a coach, evaluating yourself as an instructor and saying, is my message being delivered effectively? And if it's not, how can I, change my delivery to get the message across in a way that action from our per- participants. And while you were talking, I was thinking, yeah. well, what do you do when your participant, when your client doesn't make changes, <laughs> you know, and you answered it, you, you, you change yeah. the message, you adjust the delivery. So, um, I like that. Yeah. Okay. Let- yeah. I mean, it's, I think, uh, yeah, I was going to say, I think it's just developing your toolbox, whether that's, Tons of different drills that you might know, but you only stick with maybe a handful until there is an outlier that needs a different drill or a different way to say something. So Great. there you go. Have you gone through the effective coaching from USA Swimming? Have you gotten that talk? I have not. Okay. Um, it's it's like the USA Swimming Sports Consultants. They they do a, a mm-hmm. like a presentation with the slideshow for effective coaching. You can get the slides online mm-hmm. if you just search for effective coaching USA Swimming. Um, okay. But I, you you say a lot of the same things that they say, so that's why I'm like, oh, this is really familiar. I've I've gone through this a few times. I, I hear this. So, uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Um, all right. So how do you t- tell us about the swim box? Like I know you're working with clients, you're working with triathletes, you're working with. Tell us more about the swim lessons and working with age group swimmers. Okay. So one of the the endless pool specifically has become a huge uh, crutch for me. I show up to a regular pool and I feel like 
my my hands are tied behind my back, and I just can't coach as effectively as I can with the endless pool, um, which is a good thing and a bad mm-hmm. thing in a way. Um, with with the endless pool itself, it allows me to really control the period in time which someone gets to 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 learn, and that's an important concept to have in that learning a new motor skill, most people can only perform that new motor skill for about 15 to 20 seconds. So think about that. And you're in a regular pool. How long is it going to take someone to get down to the 30, other side? 30, 40 seconds. Yeah. Like around 15, mm-hmm. 20, 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not really fair to that person to, to expect them to, to do what you're asking them to do as a, you know, a brand new motor skill for that period of time. Um, so what we do at, at Swimbox is really, uh, we joke all the time that we need to make t-shirts that just say, do it again. <laughs> and that's, that's what we say every single day. It's like, oh, that was great. Do it again. And every time someone stops, we try to give them some feedback, whether it, what they did was, was what we're looking for. Can they see it in the mirror? Um, or what they did the, the next round wasn't what we were looking for. Did they see a difference in the mirror? Can they feel a difference? Um, I'll, I'll spend 45 minutes doing the same exact thing in about 15 to 20 second spurts. And as they get better, they can do 30 second spurts and 40 second spurts. Um, and so, and that's literally how one of my lessons went, went th- th- mm-hmm. this morning. Um, so it was, it's, it's just a really effective way to learn motor skills. Um, and we we play, I don't know if it's a fun game, but we play a game uh, <laughs> called the Redemption Game. Do tell, do tell. Um, <laughs> so the point of the game is actually we live in an area here in Northern Virginia where people are very A-type mindsets, and they don't like to fail. So we wrap this game around not failing, basically. Um, so the here's the premise for the game. Whatever skill I'm asking you to perform, say it's you know making sure your breath is low when you breathe, right? Low to the surface of the water. So you're going to swim for 30 seconds. Your goal is to make it the full 30 seconds. If you pick your head up, you have one more breath to correct it. So if the next breath you pick up again, you lose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right? So they have an opportunity to correct. So they take a good breath. They take a good breath. They pick their head up. Uh Oh, that's one, one bad breath up and they correct it. They keep going and they see if they can make it the full 30 seconds. And then once they can do 30 seconds, a couple of times, you say, okay, let's do 45. Let's see what you're made of. Um, so putting the game around awareness and correction, people, their level of focus like goes through the roof. They don't want to lose the redemption game. Um, and it's it's hysterical to watch, like the change in their like how they're 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 interacting with you. They they get really engaged all of a sudden. So it's a really fun game from my perspective yeah. as a coach. I don't know if it's fun. You know, I I love that game on two different levels. The first one is you're playing towards your audience, right? You're you're creating a, an activity or a game that speaks to the people that you are doing it with and it, and it even applies to maybe the the non-type a people because they want to just succeed for the merit of succeeding and making you happy maybe um yeah but like i like right. that part portion of it too but you you brought up meditation you, you've brought up breathing which is a com- huge component of meditation 
And I actually did a podcast. I was driving home from Door County, Wisconsin. It's like a four-hour trip for me. And I was listening to this podcast mm-hmm. on meditation. I was like, oh, my God, this is swimming. And this game, yeah. the, the redemption game, is, is when you're meditating and you're doing the breathing meditation, like the 10 minutes just acknowledging your breath, you – you're, the mm-hmm. guideline is you 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 think of a thought and then you just acknowledge the thought and dismiss it. You acknowledge it and dismiss it. You you know you don't want to dwell on anything. You just want to move on. But in this case, you're taking that same principle of I'm I'm focusing on my breathing. I'm not necessarily dwelling on it. But when I do it wrong and when I acknowledge that it's wrong, you accept it. But then the next opportunity you make the effort to correct it. So it's like, and like, cause you're going to fail when you meditate. And so don't be discouraged by that. You just say, Oh, I failed. Let's move on. In this case with this game, you're saying, you're telling your people, uh, you're going to fail. It's going to happen or, or don't because that's the game. Don't fail. Right. But when you do that, you get one chance, but then the next one has to be correct. So it's like you acknowledge you recognize, you recognize the mistake. And that's, you know, that's the meditative part. You're recognizing that you forgot to focus on your breathing and then you're going back into it. And then over time, like, just like you said, 30 seconds first and then 45 seconds, you can extend the amount of time that you're doing it. That's a fantastic, wow. Okay. All right, cool. Very cool game. (laughs) Uh, Does it work with kids? Yeah, it, 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 it is probably at this point has seeped into my lessons so much. I used to like announce, Oh, we're going to play the redemption game, but it's become <laughs> such a habit in my lessons now that it, that's basically my lesson has turned oh, into that. Well, so uh, I'll, I'll yeah. still announce it and say, Hey, this is, this is what we're yeah. doing. You know, 30 second challenge yeah. here. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been very successful. Uh, yeah, it, I would imagine it would be. That's fantastic. I'm, I'm going to steal it and credit you with it. Um, and use it, and I'll put a post sure. about it and follow up because I think this is fast, fantastic. <laughs> um, I also like you. You said um, when you're talking to your participant, you said your goal is to do this, and I, I'm going to tie that back into that's the specific language that I train my assistants to use. You're you know pick the one or two things again. Megan Gilbert, Karis Mount, um, previous podcast podcast episodes. Uh, Focus on the one thing or the one or two things to get the best results from your participants. And you, you're, you're focusing, you're aiming their attention. Your goal is to, in, in this case, low breathing close to the water. You know, your goal is to do that. I like how you craft your language to focus their attention on that. that I, I appreciate that because, you know, I do that as well and see a lot of good results with that. Um, what, I'm, I'm curious how, um, what kind of clients are you getting from age group swimmers? So uh, you you live in an area where there are club teams and pretty fast ones, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Are they being referred to you? Are they coming for therapy reasons first and then just staying because you're awesome? I mean, what's what's the uh, what's the draw? <laughs> why why the endless pool? So, yeah. I th- we get a couple of younger swimmers in competitive age swimmers. Uh, because of injuries, majority of them are actually just for for technique work. Um, I unfortunately, I think there's still a very strong mentality of like kind of pound out the yeah. yardage. Um, 
and there's not enough focus on technique. And so parents are seeking me out uh, independently from their coaches Mm -hmm. as sort of like a supplement. Now, what I do, because I want to be as neutral as possible and I want to, I want to work with as many swim teams and swimmers as possible. I will contact those swimmers coaches and say, this swimmer is working with me just to let you know. And then we've also created a um, digital document that we fill out at the end of our lessons and attach videos of what that swimmer did and just brief little write-ups of what we worked on in that lesson. And we just email it to their coach. So the goal isn't to exclude their coach and say, well, I know a lot about technique. They don't know anything. It's to say, there's a lot of kids on, on in the pool. Maybe they don't have the opportunity to give as much technique information as they want. That's my job. I want to work with those coaches. I want to work with those swimmers. Um, and, and so it's been working really nicely. Coaches um, have started to refer, Great. actually. Great. I, and I think that's a, a fantastic thing. And that's kind of, you kind of addressed what my uh, next question was going to be is coaches can be very territorial. How do you kind of overcome that? you know, territorial, and, and that's what you're doing. You're, you're addressing it directly and including them in the process. Uh, that, I think that that's yeah. excellent. Uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. What program are you using to record and uh, write on the screen and, and put it in Dropbox? I mean, is there a, a program oh, it, for it? Yeah, we, we just use an app. We just use uh, Coach's Eye. Okay. It's, so we film everything on a iPhone 6 with the underwater case um, and a fisheye lens and, you know, pretty straightforward, very simple tech. It, I say simple technology. <laughs> I couldn't build it if yeah, you asked me to. But, <laughs> uh, but it's out there. And that that is. That's good. Because that, that's kind of like you, you – I, I, like I said, I, I'm, I'm totally bought into the endless pool. It's, you know, trying to convince – my park district, my high school, is it, you know, how do we get one? Um, and then the question becomes, you know, well, how do you actually use it and integrate video and all that? So Coaches Eye, we use it with iPhones already, so that, that's good to know. And you just attach a, a fisheye lens onto it to get a wider angle? Yeah, so when you film underwater in general, because of light refraction, you have a smaller um, point of view. So use the fisheye lens to actually get more light into the, the lens mm-hmm. and you'll be able awesome. to see more. Um, yeah. But it's interesting because you saying what you were just talking about, you know, convincing different sort of bureaucracies mm-hmm. to, to figure out, you know, if it's worth it and all that other stuff. Um, I, I don't ever have, I've never had to deal with that. I've always kind of just worked as my, on my own as my own like okay. entity. Um, so I would I would urge people, well maybe if the whomever you work for, whatever you know organization you're working for doesn't want to support that, can you do it yourself? Can you go out on your in your your own and set something up and then feed in to your own um, endless pool facility or whatever you design? Can you talk a little bit about um, how that would be possible? I, I'm just. From a planning perspective, I'm looking at, are you renting retail space? Do you have to have showers available? Um, of course, the initial investment yeah. and then you know the amount of people that come. I think right. it's like 10000 for the base model of the pool. Are you 
Uh, do you are you in partnership with your therapy uh, clinic or uh, I don't know what to call it? No, so we we uh, lease uh-huh. space okay. from them, um, but we lease space from them specifically because we are uh, we both have the same mission in life, and that is to mm-hmm. help people. Um, and so we collaborate very well together. We, we just from the very first time that we met, uh, it was like this is what we need to do together. Um, so leasing space is the hardest part. You don't want to really lease retail space because retail space is really expensive mm-hmm. and, and the cost of that retail space goes up very quickly every year. Um, so you, you know, typically you want industrial space or uh, office space, and that's what we're in is office space right now. Um, and then as far as regulations go, it's going to be different in every state, sure. in, uh, every county, and yeah. in, in, in mm-hmm. cities. Uh, right now, so we're in Fairfax County, and they have been working with us to Great. figure out where we fit into their model because we it's don't. It's different. It's new. Um, yeah. yeah, and so they, they've been incredibly... Uh, patient and helpful and they even like invited us into their office and sat down with us for about an hour to talk about okay so here's where you don't fit in how do we create a variance mm-hmm. for that and and can you add this to this and um, was that so, something you had to seek out on your own initially to get that relationship or did they come to you they okay. came to me. Oh, that's great okay. yeah yeah no, I, assume, um, I assume i guess also people were oh, talking sorry. about it no, it was just that I guess people were talking about it and someone caught wind and said, hey, there's this weird pool. Because <laughs> I wanted to check that out. <laughs> this guy in a pool in a box and that moves and creates That's a current right. but doesn't make splashes. Uh, so I'm assuming then you also have like a basic general liability. Uh, you got other things going on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. So yeah, we have our own liability insurance yeah. and all of that stuff. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, it can be scary for sure to like, make that leap um i was i was afraid to do this two years ago mm-hmm. when i started it because all i've ever done is be an on-deck coach and i didn't think that there was a market for swim lessons at this mm-hmm. caliber but i'm booked six weeks out now that's today. great and so, then that and and that's just based on your reputation as a coach based on your uh word of mouth um any advertising that's fantastic that's yeah. great yeah Okay, yeah. fantastic. So I, I would I would encourage everyone to kind of How can go people for it. find you? How can they get more information about you? So people can the easiest way to do that is just go to the website which is theswimbox.com um, and they can check out our Instagram which Pretty is Pretty awesome. um at @swimbox and we try to post all the little drills and things that we do. We post things about, you know, some of the 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 athletes that we're working with that are doing great things. And, um, you know, we just try to share as much information as we can. I think it's really important to share information, even if it's controversial. <laughs> the breathing, um, yes. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, we try to just share. So that you can find us on Instagram at swim underscore box. And um, I don't even know our Twitter handle, but I think it's uh, <laughs> at uh, swimbox underscore blog or mm-hmm. something like that. Fantastic. Do you have anything else that you want to add for 
anyone that may be considering using a endless pool type setup, which is it's typically like 11 to 18 feet long, 10 feet wide. Uh, I think that's the big version of it. But it's typically a, a, a smaller yeah, pool that has a, a, a current in it that you swim against, so you're basically stationary. Uh, there are models that have mirrors on the bottom and video cameras on the top or in the water. You know, are there? What would you say to someone that might be considering going into a program similar to yours or your program? What what's uh, what's the draw? What can you do for them? Um, I would be happy to answer any questions that anyone has about that. Um, so they can email me from the website, and I will be happy to to answer their questions. We actually work really closely with endless pools. Um, so we we make content for them, um, and we're we're happy to like f- facilitate relationships between endless pools and other coaches. Um, we are we are looking for second locations and things like that. So if people are interested in, in learning more about Swimbox and maybe eventually having a franchise of Swimbox where we use the same protocols and um, basically you just have to like want want this and we That's set it great. up for you. Um, so that's that's on the horizon. So I'm happy to answer questions. Just I just just like I want to help my swimmers. I want to help other coaches mm-hmm. too. I want to help whatever some coach wants to do um, something similar to what I'm doing and I have knowledge that I can give. I want to give it to them. That's great. Um, but yeah, I, I would say just reach out to endless pools or reach out to 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 me and. We can get it Fantastic. figured out. Now, I have uh, another question. That I was, we're going to wrap it up here in about uh, two or three minutes. How how do you feel about teaching a group lesson to children in an endless pool? That That's kind of my question. I, I've i seen it. Uh, does, how does it work? Is it What do you like about it? Mm-hmm. Um, so we do learn to swim for kids basically four years old to, to eight in a group lesson setting. Um, but we don't do more than three kids at a time, which was a huge selling point for a lot of the families because uh, they were used to going to rec centers and getting like 12 kids in a class. Too at a time. Um, so they really appreciated the limited class size. Um, and because it's learned to swim, there's actually not that much swimming going on. There's a lot of floating, a lot of rolling over, that type of stuff, like more like the the WSI or Red Cross mm-hmm. type of stuff. Um, so it works actually really well because it's to those little kids, it's just a slightly big bathtub. <laughs> um, so they get to they actually one of the really cool moments that I'll probably never forget because it never even occurred to me was the first uh, learn to swim for like a, a five year old that I ever did in the endless pool. Um, I was teaching him how to just float on a stomach and we floated over the mirror and that was like the catalyst for him for putting his face yes. in the water because now he can see himself yes. floating. Yes. And it was like this mind blowing experience for this little five year old to go, Oh my God, I'm floating <laughs> and I can see it. Um, so it was pretty uh, cool. That's fantastic. I, I love that story. I mean, we, we have mirrors as well that we use, and I think they're easily, if you're going to make a purchase, one of the best things to do. And, and that moment kind of echoes all the time. Um, great, great. Yeah. Uh, 
This is fantastic. I, I, I want to really thank you. Um, I, I like the provocative statement about well, training, you know, on breathing. And I'm going to investigate it and, and report back uh, both to you and to our listeners as well, um, whether that's through another podcast or yeah. a uh, write-up. But um, this is great stuff. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today, uh, Dominic. Um, you can find... Uh, him, you can connect. You said your email address is on theswimbox.com. That's T H E S W I M B O X.com. Uh, you can send Dominic an email. Uh, thank you very much, Dominic, for joining us. You're, you're very welcome. And I'm happy to have more and more conversations. It's been a great time and a, a real pleasure to talk with you, Jeff. So thank you. You're very welcome. And there it is our conversation with Dominic Latella from theswimbox.com Now you can find more information about Dominic and Swimbox at their website. Go to https colon backslash backslash www.theswimbox.com That's T-H-E-S-W-I-M-B-O-X dot com And get more information about how you can access that type of swimming environment uh, with endless pools. Now I really really liked talking to Dominic from the swim box and some of the major points that he makes that I really want you to hit home with uh, which you can see in our show notes are breathing well on land is a demonstration of a good athlete now, that was one of the most important things I think Dominic said in our conversation uh, that if you know how to breathe which is a fundamental s- a thing you do to exist or to continue living uh, you need to have a good breathing so you can perform at your peak athletic ability. He also said, I don't think you realized it, but you said breathing is not fundamental. And I would say breathing is the foundation of swimming. This is early on in our conversation, and uh, it's an interesting point where foundation of swimming is breathing. And if you look at Most of our training, and in my experience with most of the coaches, very little is talked about the breath. There's very little instruction on how to breathe and when to breathe. Uh, There's mention of it. Don't breathe into your turns. I'm okay if you take a breath off your first first stroke. Um, Breathe every stroke on breaststroke. Breathe every other stroke on butterfly. But there's really no discussion on how you're breathing. Are you using your diaphragm? Are you breathing in through your nose or out through your mouth? Or should you be breathing through your mouth and out your nose? When do you start exhaling? You know, those are the things that define if you can breathe well on land, as that's an indicator of a good athlete, how are we teaching our swimmers to breathe in the water? And how are we teaching our athletes in our age group programs, uh, in our high school programs, how are we teaching them to breathe? That's one of the major things that I think that you need as an instructor, as a swim professional. You can get back to me at jeff at swimmingideas.com or you can contact Dominic at theswimbox.com in the contact us section of the website. Let us know what your journey on the breathing foundation of swimming is and how you've used it in your program. Now, we had this conversation about a week and a half ago and in our conversation... um, I'd said that I was going to go try this in my program, and I did. So, and I put this in the show notes as well. Um, we had our swimmers, we use mirrors uh, in a dance studio next to our pool, and I had them stand as close as they could next to the mirror without actually touching it. 
and then using their breath, expand their waist so their belly button touched the mirror and then didn't touch the mirror. But don't touch it with your nose or any other part of your body. And what that was was a goal in exaggerated breathing with your belly, with your waist, to engage to engage your core, to use, make sure your waist muscles, your obliques, your abdominals were being used as a... Um, way to make your breath move. Uh, we didn't do this for particularly long. I don't want them to hyperventilate or uh, get lightheaded and pass out, but uh, it, it teaches expanding your waist, expanding your belly. Uh, we did big belly, little belly breathing on deck just before we got in. Uh, it just again, just using the waist to make the breath move uh, in addition to the lungs. Uh, and then that's the first chunk. That's the first being aware of it, uh, teaching it in its first form. Now, this episode has tons of great information. I do encourage, um, thank you so much for listening to it. Uh, like I said, if you're interested in talking to Dominic, reach out to him at theswimbox.com, contact us section. If you have questions for me about anything or want more information on how you can uh, use Short distance training, he talks about the 15 to 20 second new motor skills. That's what we do in our programs with swimming ideas. Uh, we do short distance training with immediate feedback and multiple repetitions to give our participants that 10, 15 second time to do a single targeted activity, and then we tell them how they did, and then they get to do it again, uh, which I'm kind of laughing about because maybe Dominic and I are going to go in and make those T-shirts. Great. Do it again. All right. Thank you very much for your, spending your time listening to our podcast. Uh, and let us know what you think. Jeff at Swimming Ideas, Swimming Ideas on Twitter, or at Swimming Ideas on Facebook. And remember, tomorrow we can teach better lessons together. Take care.